that, but we are starting a new series tonight called Eat This Book, and you're going to see the brand is going to pop up there now. Uh, this was done by our very own Corneille Niekirk, who is not here. I don't know where she is right now, finishing that Grand Prix and just got really wrapped up into what was going on in Azerbaijan. But she did this for us uh, for the series. And one of the things she prayed is just that, actually, this is quite fun. I think it's quite fresh and different. And just as we get into the series, which is on the scriptures, on the Bible, that actually we would be excited as a church to go on this journey together and that we would learn and grow and be inspired and encouraged and trained as we go through this all together. So why this series, Eat This Book? Well, I think I've wanted to preach this for about a year now, so I've been preparing and starting to think about that, but I think it came out of this thought and reality that every week as we gather like this, you know, when we've been able to, I or whoever's preaching will open up the Bible and will teach from this book. And we believe that this is a God-given book, that actually the words of this book are authoritative, that actually there's truth in this book that we wanna learn and be shaped by and transformed by, and we want this book to guide our lives. I think one of the, the words we believe, but a, a tough word is to say, we wanna to submit to the teachings of this book. Submit is not really a word that we like in our culture these days, but actually we do. We wanna to submit to the authority of God's word and live it out, because we believe it is the word of God to us. And now I say that, but the reality is many of us have grown up in the church or grown up in a home where we have been exposed to Christianity or a Christian home, and at the same time, we haven't really been taught what to do with the Bible, you know, what it is, how to engage with it. So like, even though you might have been in church for a really long time, and you know the Bible's important, you actually don't really use this book or know this book or, or draw life from this book too well. So tonight, even as I say this, you might have been in church for a long time, and for you, although you know this book is important, actually, it doesn't shape your life more than other books would. Maybe you don't know if you think this is more important than a book from another religion, or I don't know, your favorite novel, whatever that is, Harry Potter or June or whatever you're into these days, or whatever's at the top of the exclusive books, like bestseller list. Maybe this is just another book to you that sometimes you read, sometimes you don't. But for us in the church, and in terms of what Christians have believed throughout generations, we believe this is a unique book. We believe this is a God-inspired and God-breathed book. We believe that this book has authority, that, that the words of this book are true, that they show us right and wrong, they show us the way that we should go. And actually, these words in this book can equip us and shape us and mature us and help us to become complete and whole. So this is a very important book. And really the goal of the series is that we would have something of a Christian worldview and a Christian vision of what God's word is. And hopefully you'd fall in love with it, that you'd engage with it, you'd learn how to do that, and that you'd be encouraged as we go through this. And if you're sitting there and you're saying, wow, Grant, that sounds boring. I didn't know that's what we were getting into. I didn't know that's what was up next. I'm really sorry, but I think this series is something that you need to help you to grow in your faith and to grow in knowing God for yourself. There was a study done a few years ago. It's called the Reveal Study. It was done out of a church called Willow Creek in Barrington, Illinois, in the U.S. And um, out of that study came this book. And really what the Reveal Study did was it looked at over 1,000 churches from around the world. They interviewed over 250,000 people. And they were basically trying to find out what makes people change, what helps people to grow in their own spiritual journey with Jesus. 
And after all of this surveying, after all of this research, they found one thing above everything else, and that was personal reflection on Scripture. That helped people to grow in their faith and their knowing of Jesus more than anything else. And they also found that only one in five church members reads and reflects on Scripture every day. So that means that many of us, you know, we do engage with the Scriptures, but not that often. And when we do do that, we don't know, you know, really how to do that. So we're doing it the best we know how. But what happens is we can start to read the Bible for ourselves and get quite discouraged because we're reading it. We don't really know what to do. We don't get anything out of it. We're not finding it helpful. We find some of these books kind of old-fashioned and we're not sure what all of these laws and rules are about. And we can kind of put it to one side and get distracted for a couple of months because we don't get much out of it. It's kind of like someone, I don't know if you've been there, I've been there. You take out a gym contract, you go to gym, you go inside, you know, 1st of January kind of thing. You see the machines around the room, you're like, wow, where do I start with all of this? And maybe you go to one, you're not sure how to use it, but you do your best, and you try that a couple of times, like over the next few weeks, and you go, I'm not really seeing results, I'm out of here. You know, it's not worth getting up at five for this. You know, this is just hard, I don't know what I'm doing, it's not helping me at all. I think that's what happens with a lot of us with the Bible. You know, we try, we pick it up, we read it, we don't really know what we're doing. After a while, we haven't had the spiritual experience, we haven't learned or grown or been changed or heard the voice of God, and we just put it to one side and think, okay, like, it's obviously just not for me. And I'm hoping that's one of the things we're gonna be able to do in this series is help you to know how to engage with the Bible, what to expect as you engage with the Bible. Other stats tell us that our culture is changing. You know, some studies done in Western cities show that millennials and Gen Z people, however you say that, which many of us in this room would fit into those categories, we consume four to 10 hours of media per day, while other studies show that only 10% of church-going young people interact with the Bible on any given day. And when we do, it's just for a few minutes. And that should be quite significant for us. Now, I know that's not true for this church. I know you guys are spiritually vital, black belts in the Bible. You guys are crushing your Bible reading. I know that, so I'm not talking about you. I mean the other churches of Durban. The other churches out there, they like fall into that category. And I'm just saying that because I wanna encourage you, like wherever you fall on this, like this isn't a sermon to beat you up over doing this or not doing this. This is just showing the realities of what we find in the world, that even in the church, even in the church, among Christians who are regularly in church, we don't really know what to do with the Bible, we're not really engaging with it, and we're not really being shaped by it all that much. We're being shaped by other things. We're being shaped by those four to 10 hours of media that we take in a day. You know, we're being shaped by social media, the voice of culture. That is shaping our opinion on things rather than the, vo- the voice of God and the word of God. Which all means that this series, if this gets into our hearts and souls and DNA as a church, could be one of the most value-shaping series we ever do. Like, I, I guess I am trying to hype this up, but zero hype here. I really do think if you engage with this series over the next seven weeks, this could change your life. It could change your relationship with God. It, it could help you to know how to engage with the Bible and hear God speak and be shaped and formed by it. And while we go through the series, Over the next seven weeks, our friends Jamie and Lisa Tennant are going to be with us. They're sitting in the second row. They're both taking notes passionately. Very good church attendees, you know. But they're going to be with us, and Jamie and I are going to be preaching this series like on alternating weeks, which I think will be really, really fun. And one of the reasons I'm excited about that is because Jamie is the person who got me excited about the Bible when I was 18 years old. He kind of took me under his wing. He said I should read this book. I did. 
Then I came to him with questions, and he answered my questions. He helped me to understand the Bible, ground me in the Bible, kind of put me in the right place when I didn't really know what I was doing. And also maybe just two interesting facts about him. Jamie has an online website selling Bibles called thebibletreasury.co.za. So you can go and check out his passion for the Bible online, literally selling beautiful premium Bibles. You can go and fantasize about the book you're gonna buy through the series. He does that and he's got a long-term dream, which I'm, Jamie's a very interesting guy. He makes all sorts of things, but one of his dreams is to print the Bible for himself, to, to print the Bible for others later in his life. So he's excited me about this book. He's excited about this book. I think he's gonna help us get excited about this book. And while they're with us for seven weeks, we love you to get to know these friends of ours over the next while. Lastly, what is up with this title, Eat This Book? It is like a bit of a unique and different title. And that's really what I wanna spend the rest of tonight looking at. And I think like where it starts is that in the scriptures, one of the things we see is that again and again and again, God's word is spoken of as spiritual food that we should eat and digest and be nourished by. And I think that's a picture I would love you to take with you tonight as we go into the series, but also as you read the Bible for yourself. This is spiritual food that as you read it and as you internalize it, it nourishes you and shapes you and changes you. And in Matthew 4, we see this really well-known encounter. It's a significant moment in the New Testament between Jesus and the devil. And this is what it says. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Bit of an obvious statement there from the Scriptures. And then the tempter approached him and said, if you are the Son of God, questioning him, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. In another sense, he's saying, Jesus, if you are hungry and if you are powerful, feed yourself. You know, you should be able to do this if you really are God. And Jesus answered and said, it is written. It is written. He goes back to what the scriptures have to say as he speaks to the devil and says, it is written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, there's a lot of things going on there. One of the things Jesus is teaching us is something you might not know or believe, and that's that there are other types of food, not just biological or physical food or whatever you want to call the food in your fridge, but there are other types of food that nourish us and satisfy us. And here, he actually says the most important type might be God's word instead of brinjals or burgers or whatever you enjoy eating. Maybe God's word is more important to you than physical food. Now, if you think about that, that's a big thing because our days are shaped by our meals. Like most of us, I know a lot of us skip breakfast, but for most of us, we have three meals in the days. Unless you're a hobbit, second breakfast, that's a real thing for those guys. I wrote that in my notes and knew it was gonna be a bad joke up front. Sven gave me, yeah, most of you know, it's not great. If you watch Lord of the Rings, which I kind of apathetically watched, they talked about the passion of hobbits for second breakfasts. They had multiple meals throughout the day. I'm just trying to make the point that you and I our days are broken up into these three meals, you know? We stop what we're doing or we start doing something different to make sure that we eat and nourish ourselves and we feed. So at the start of the day, you shower, brush your teeth, get dressed, make breakfast, go to work, work really hard for a couple of hours, stop what you're doing, make lunch, buy lunch, go out for lunch, sit and eat, carry on your day. When you're tired, maybe you have a shower, maybe you put your kids to bed, 
You make a meal, you eat your meal, you watch some TV, you read a book, you go to bed. Food plays a huge part in our days. It breaks up our days again and again and again. And if food has this kind of impact on our lives and our days and how we structure and define what we do, and Jesus is saying to us that his word is similar, but actually more important, then surely this book, its words, its truths, should shape our days. Maybe it's the start of the day, maybe it's throughout the day, but we're engaging with this book as the people of God. I think if you and I want to be spiritually healthy, if we want vitality in our walk with God, then feeding daily on God's word is a non-negotiable. We need to be doing this. And these words of Jesus here in Matthew 4 are interesting because when he says it is written, he's pointing back to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2 and 3. And he's pointing back to a significant moment in the story of the people of God where the Israelites have been taken out of captivity in Egypt and they're going into the promised land. And I mean, that's a radical thing. Hey? They, they left captivity and for 40 years they walked through the desert without any food. Like, that is blind trust and faith. I mean, I'm pretty sure some of us, if we didn't have money in our bank accounts, we weren't sure how we were going to eat the next week, we would be really, really stressed. But for 40 years, they walk trusting God to feed them and provide for them every single day. And God does. He provides manna or food for them to eat so that they will be nourished and sustained and strengthened. And that's what Jesus is speaking about here where he says, it is written. It is written. He's pointing back to the provision of God with manna or food for his people. But he's saying to us, just like the Israelites, you know, they didn't just go outside and put their heads up and their mouths filled up with this manna from heaven. They had to daily go and collect it and then feed themselves and eat to be sustained. And it's like Jesus is saying to us with this food, we also daily, every day, need to go and eat from it that we would be sustained and nourished and strengthened and energized by the word of God. That's what this title, Eat This Book, is all about. And I think um, over the last two decades, and I say that because of my life, and I'll tell you why now, the way people have engaged food has changed, at least in my family and my experience. Like I know a lot of people in this room, or at least in our church, their diets have changed over the last few years. You know, some people are now pescatarian or vegetarian or vegan or eat less meat for different reasons. Some people are into clean eating or intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it is. But we're all thinking about what we put into our bodies. You know, we're looking at the kilojoules in the food we eat, the chemicals and the preservatives in the food. Is it genetically modified? If you're able to, many people are trying to eat healthier, more organic, more ethically, more naturally, because we know that what goes into us affects us. You know, what, what we absorb is going to shape our bodies and our energies and could have really negative effects on us. And I say that this has changed over the years because when I was a kid, my parents used to put Coke in my baby bottle and let me drink it. I mean, anyone else want to shame their parents? They would literally put Coke in my bottle. Shell had fruit juice, so a little bit healthier. Our daughter will never taste Coke, you know. She's never going to have that sugar and caffeine. But for me as a two or three-year-old, that's what I was drinking out of my bottle walking around the house. Culture has changed. We care more and more and we think more and more about what we eat because you are what you eat. You are what you eat. And I think the goal when it comes to eating the Bible, eating the scriptures, is not that we would learn and become full of knowledge. I think probably all of us know Christians who are really knowledgeable about the Bible, but they're jerks, you know? 1 Corinthians 8 verse 1 says, knowledge puffs up, 
but love builds up. And that's what we're aiming for, you know? As we talk about eating this book, we don't just want to become knowledgeable. We want to change. We want to grow. We want to know God. We want to become more and more Christ-like. The goal is that, and Tari's feeling it at the back, which I really appreciate, but it's that we'd be impregnated by the Word of God, that it would shape us and grow up on the inside, and it would come out, you know, to the work of God in the world through our lives. So what are you internalizing? What are you taking into your life? What are you absorbing? What are you being impregnated with? Again, we've got a lot of people in this church who have to be really thoughtful about what they eat because of just allergies or intolerances that they've got. I can see some of them like as I'm looking around the room now. And they have to be so, so careful because gluten or um, dairy, I nearly said lactose, I guess that would be right. Dairy, whatever it is, they've got an intolerance to that, so it affects them. Some people that we've had in this church have had really, really complicated allergies where there's tons of things they can't eat. And what I've seen as I've spoken to some of you and those people is just how hard it is and how this affects every single part of your life. Yes, that means when you go to the shops, you have to look on every box, on every label to make sure it does or doesn't have certain things in it. But more than that, it means every time you go to a restaurant, you have to be checking things. You know, you have to have an awkward conversation every time you go to someone's house for a meal, just saying, if you don't mind, I can't eat that, I don't want to eat that, or be polite and try and eat around it. And even, I was shocked to think, these communion nip and sip cups we've got on the chairs, some people can't take part in those because of their own allergies. This affects so much for us, which means they have to be careful because they know how the wrong foods will affect their lives. And I want to say that for us in a similar way because some of us are internalizing and eating and absorbing things which are having a really bad effect on us. We're allowing things into our minds and in our hearts and our bodies, content from blogs or movies or TV or whatever, a podcast you're listening to, pictures you're looking at, even just the words of the people around you that you're internalizing and that are making your soul sick. And really, the, the question I want to leave you with is what are you allowing yourself to internalize? Are you being careful and cautious with what goes inside of you? Because what comes inside of us will affect us. It will affect us. So the title of the series, Eat This Book, comes from three big moments in the scriptures. And we're gonna start with the last one tonight, which is in Revelation 10, that book that Luke was talking about with the dragons and prostitutes, you know, just casual, normal church stuff. But Revelation 10, verse nine to 11, says this. So I, I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, take and eat it. It will be bitter in your stomach, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. It was as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I ate it, my stomach became bitter. And they said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. And there's this moment here, John the Apostle, this is Jesus' best friend, at least self-proclaimed best friend. You know, Jesus never says it, John says it. But this guy is spending Sunday on the Isle of Patmos. History tells us that they tried to boil him alive. They tried to kill him for the role he was playing in the Jesus movement, and he didn't die. And he was taken prisoner to the Isle of Patmos. He probably, on a good day, could see like land, and he could see where the churches that he led or played a role in were. And he was praying for them and thinking of them and asking God to carry on the work he'd been doing before. And there he's praying, and it says he's in the spirit on the Lord's day. 
And while he's in this moment, he sees an angel, one foot in the sea and one foot on the continent. There's a cloud around him and a rainbow around his head. I love the details of the scriptures. I don't know why that's in there, but I mean, what a sight. That's just his prayer time on a Sunday morning. I don't know what you saw this morning while you were praying, but that's what John saw. He sees this massive angel holding this book from God. And this is what happens next. I've taken this directly from a Eugene Peterson book. It says, from this comprehensive land and sea pulpit, the angel was preaching from the book, a sermon explosive with thunder. This was a sermon no one would sleep through. John started to write down what he was hearing. He was taking sermon notes like Jamie and Lise, very, very good. He'd never heard a sermon like this one, but was then told not to. Stop taking notes. You guys can keep going. This is just him. But a voice told John to take the book from the huge angel, this God messenger preaching from his world straddling pulpit. And so he did. He walked up to the angel and said, give me the book. The angel gave it to him, but then said, here it is, eat it. Eat this book. Don't just take notes on the sermon. Eat the book. And John did it. He put away his notebook and pencil. He picked up his knife and fork. He ate the book. I really just love that description of that moment, you know. John is standing there, seeing this vision, having this amazing experience with God, and then he's given the scriptures to eat and internalize and be nourished by. But he wasn't the first biblical character to do this. In fact, we see 600 years earlier, Ezekiel, the prophet, had been given a scroll and told to eat it too. In Ezekiel 2 verse 8 to 3 verse 4, it says, And you, son of man, listen to what I tell you. Do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I am giving you. So I looked and saw a hand reaching out to me, and there was a written scroll in it. When he unrolled it before me, it was written on the front and back, words of lamentation, mourning, and woe were written on it. He said to me, son of man, eat what you find here. Eat the scroll, then go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he fed me the scroll. Son of man, he said to me, feed your stomach and fill your belly with the scroll I'm giving you. So I ate it, and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. Then he said to me, son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak my words to them. Lastly, Jeremiah, one of Ezekiel's contemporaries, he had this similar experience. It says in Jeremiah 15, verse 16, your words were found and I ate them. Your words became a delight to me and the joy of my heart, for I bear your name, Lord God of armies. And I love those three moments. We've got these three God-loving prophets living through a very difficult time. I think we're living through a very difficult time in South African history, in global history. These three men were living through difficult times under the Babylonian Empire, under the Roman Empire. It was very tough for them to be the people of God and lead the people of God. But here we see this moment where they start to eat the scriptures and this diet of God's word starts to change them, changes them from the inside out. It changes their hearts and their minds and their thinking. It changes their lives and their ministries and they begin to speak the word that they've internalized out to shape God's people, to shape their thinking, to shape their living. They're given something that changes them and in turn changes nations. And as we see this, I want to say the invitation to us is similar. 
It's to eat this book. It's to take it in. It's to internalize it, to let actually that food, that word that we eat, metabolize inside of us to fill us with this God energy as we live our lives. That we would leave here today not the same, but being changed by God's word to be God's people in this place at this time. That's what's going on in these passages. That's what Eat This Book is about. So how do we do that? Well, that is what this series is gonna be looking at. We're gonna spend seven weeks looking at this, seeing if we can learn and grow and be shaped. And again, I think this could be really significant for us on Sundays, midweek, and other ways that we do this. But maybe just as a taster tonight, I spoke to my cousin, Nicole, this week. She's a health and nutrition coach. And I just said, Nicole, listen, this is the series we're doing at church, eat this book, talking about this stuff. But you know how the body internalizes food and deals with food. What are some tips that you can give us? Like coach me on how the body responds to food on how we eat food best. How do we do it? And there were a few things she said that I thought were just so helpful and relevant for us. So let me share them with you. The first thing she said is the body wakes up in a dehydrated state. So it's helpful if water is the first thing you drink in the morning. The second thing is, there's a saying that goes, how we eat is how we live. So if you race through your meals all the time, you know, you grab a piece of toast and a banana on the way out, you eat in the car, that kind of thing. No, none of us do that here, you know, I've never done that before. But if you do that, the idea is probably in the rest of our lives, we're like that. You know, we're always on a rush, always on the go. And if we do that, we're probably not present that often, slowing down to be in the moment with the person we're with, doing the thing that we're doing, all of that. Byron's agreeing from the back. You didn't amen like Tari, Byron, but I'll take the air punch as decent, you know. But really, she was calling this mindful eating, that actually we think about what we're doing. We're present with what we're doing. We're present with that meal. She spoke about how actually we engage with all five senses, noticing the taste and the texture and the temperature of the food, getting rid of all distractions, all of the things that are taking us away from what is going on in that moment, and we chew slowly. And she ended by saying, so eat slowly, knife and fork down between uh, mouthfuls, chew your food until it's mush, you know, ready to just go down, like we're talking a lot of chewing here, guys. And then she said, when we rush through our meals, overeat, undereat, multitask, stand while we eat, don't pay attention to the food that we're eating, we risk all sorts of things, including nutritional deficiencies. Even when you're eating a lot of food, if it's not chewed well, the body isn't able to access and or extract all of the goodness from it. How relevant is that to the way we engage with the scriptures? I think I almost don't have to spell it out, but I will. You know, it's the first thing she said is when we wake up in the morning, we're dehydrated, we need a little bit of water. What is the first thing she's saying? Drink some water at the start of the day. Start the day with God's word. Let that get inside of you rather than other things. How quick are we all to pick up our phones? I do this all the time. If I haven't seen the COVID stats the night before, first thing in the morning, I wanna know what's going on with that. I wanna check the news. I wanna see what's going on. Start the day in the scriptures. Secondly, slow down when you're eating. I am so guilty of doing this that I start a Bible reading plan. I'm gonna read through the Bible in a year and then it goes from being a good idea, you know, actually I want to go through the Bible in a year, I want to get God's word in me and it transitions to becoming a chore and an obstacle to get through every morning. 
You know, so as I start the day, I'm on the toilet reading my Bible, trying to finish this reading plan so I can do the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. I know none of you are like that, but this is me. This becomes a chore, just something, I've got to tick that box so I can do the next thing because I'm busy and I've got lots going on. So slow down. Don't be distracted. Be present with what you're doing. Be present with what you're reading. Think it through. Chew on it. Enjoy it. Savor it. Be present. In Psalm 119, verse 18, the psalmist is praying as he reads the Bible, and he prays and says, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. And I love that. You know, I don't pray if I'm rushing through a passage of Scripture, you know, because I don't have time to pray, you know. I don't have time to engage with God. I've got to read this so I can do the next thing. But here we see the person actually making space, getting rid of distractions, Phones to one side, laptops to one side, door is closed. God, actually, I really want to do this properly. I want to be present with you and the text. I want to hear what you want to say. Feed me, Lord. Nourish my soul. I need your word. Lastly, and this was my favorite thing here, because my cousin is a mom, so it sounds like mom language here when she's speaking, but eat slowly and chew your food till it's mush. And I love that because one of the things we're called to do in the Psalms is to meditate on God's word, you know, to memorize it and meditate on it. And I love that because you can't do that in a rush. That's slow chewing until the scriptures are mush and can go down easily, you know, small bite-sized pieces that we can absorb, getting all the nutrients out of the word, taking everything that's in there out that we can be fed and strengthened. Taryn Williams in his book on the Bible says, Jesus as a boy, like all Jewish boys, most likely memorized the entire first five books of the Bible and much of the Old Testament. I hear that and I cannot imagine how you would do that. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and a bunch of other things in Jesus when he was young, in most young Jewish boys. And that's not just from one reading, that's from multiple readings over and over and over again, chewing, getting the word into mush, absorbing it, getting it inside of you. Dallas Willard, who's well known for the spiritual discipline, says, Bible memorization is absolutely fundamental to spiritual formation. If I had to choose between all the disciplines of the spiritual life, I would choose Bible memorization because it is a fundamental way of filling our minds with what it needs. I think when we come to the Bible in this way, not just takeaways, you know, not just speed eating, not just a little McDonald's meal on the go, but slow meals, slow down eating, chewing slowly, thinking about what we're reading. This changes our experience of Scripture, and this helps us to hear the words of God that we need to hear for our lives. Now, I do want to say this. This is really important. I am not saying tonight that every time you sit down to read your Bible in this way, it's going to be life-changing or fine dining. That's not what I'm saying at all. How many meals that you have at home that are good meals are not memorable. You know, they're nutritious, they give your body what it needs, but you don't remember what you ate two or three days later. So true with the scriptures too. Just because you're doing this doesn't mean you're gonna go, oh, five star or three Michelin star meal, that was life changing. No, it's gonna be a lot of ordinary eating, but it's gonna nourish our souls. It's gonna nourish us and help us to grow. And as we do this daily practice, thank you, Tari. And amen again as much as you want. As we do this daily practice, what we see happening, just slowly over time, the compound interest of reading in this way is just being stored up inside of us. 
There's this uh, little story I read preparing for tonight. This first century rabbi named Rabbi Akiva. And he was out with his flocks in the field. And he saw this big rock and this drip that was coming down from above it. And he noticed, you know, that's just nothing significant. But that little drip has carved a huge hole inside that boulder. You know, that big rock has been shaped probably over centuries by that little drip just hitting it again. Pat, pat, or whatever it drip does. Drip, drip, drip. Touching it and just eroding. And he said these things. If mere water can do this to hard rock, how much more, not that kind of hard rock, he's talking like a boulder. If mere water can do this to hard rock, how much more can God's word carve away into my heart of flesh? If we wanna be a people that know Jesus and follow him and become his people in Durban today, then we need to be a Bible people. Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And as I read that, I wanna say to us, could we become that kind of church where the Bible is central to our lives and to community life, to the things that we do, that we talk about this during the week? You know, around a bri, the scriptures come up. As we make decisions, the scriptures play a role and our conversations at home and our time with our children that the scriptures are shaping our time and what we do. That's what we're talking about in this series. Now, I think as I end, it would be a tragedy to me if you left here and went, Grant was saying we should read the Bible more. If that's what you leave here with tonight, I haven't preached well, or you just haven't got the heart of what we're wanting to do in this series. That's not what I'm saying tonight. Really, this series is more about the thought of us being nourished by God's word and also being immersed in the story of God. That's what we're talking about in this series. There was um, a really helpful illustration I saw in this book I was reading for tonight. I don't know if you remember those magic eye books. I'm so old, guys. Those magic eye books. Okay, Hannah remembers them. I think you're like 10 years younger than me, Hannah, so I don't, I don't know about that. But they were those books with those weird patterns and colors and shapes in them. You also got the posters that you put up on the walls. We had them in all of our classes when I was young many, many years ago. But you'd look at this poster on the wall, and you'd try and like adjust your eyes from seeing this flat 2D picture to seeing like some, some of you are getting it, you know where I'm going with this, but all of a sudden as you squinted and looked, you'd see like a stegosaurus or a wave or I don't know, a mountain or something really exciting. You'd see it and then you'd tell your friends or if you're like me who couldn't see it, I would pretend in line and be like, oh yeah, there it is, there's the dinosaur, I can see it. But that's really the idea with this series is as we come to the Bible and the 2D words that we see on the page, that actually we wanna engage with it in such a way that we have this 3D or 4D or whatever dimension encounter with God, that we go deeper and more fully into the scriptures, that we know God and enter into his story. We um, have been trying to read the Narnia books through with our daughter, August, but now her meal times are just so short, you know, that we're struggling. We got through five, but we've still got two to go. But if you've read The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, There's this moment at the end, or at the beginning of one of them, where Lucy and Eustace are looking at this picture on the wall. And it's a picture of a ship on the sea. And they're looking at this picture, and next thing you know, they get pulled into it. And they can smell, you know, the sea, and hear the gulls, and feel the salt on their skin. And they're on the deck of the Dawn Treader. They've been drawn into the story, and now they're a part of it. And that's what we're aiming for in the series 
not just to read the Bible more, but to be drawn into the story of God, to experience it in the way that God wants to. So as we live our lives, we're not just living with God out there and us over here, but actually we're living as part of the story that he's called us to be a part of, where Jesus is the main character. That's what the series is all about. So this afternoon, I want to end not by saying, do you know the Bible well? And that would be a really good thing. But I want to end by saying, do you know him? Do you know Jesus? Are you a part of his story? Because all of scripture, all of human history is about him and pointing to him. And yes, Harbor City, we want to be a Bible people. That's a really good thing. But at the center of our faith isn't a book, it's a person named Jesus. So in this series, we don't just want to know this book better but we wanna know Jesus better. We don't just wanna know the story of this book better, we wanna enter into the story as we follow Jesus as a community. And as we eat this book, we wanna know him. So can I ask you guys to stand and the band to come up? We're gonna end tonight by taking communion and singing together. And as we take communion, we're not internalizing the word like I've been saying about, but in a sense, we're internalizing the message of Jesus, the, the gospel. What we do, and I love that Jesus did this, he didn't just leave us with a message, he left us with a meal, is that we're gonna eat this wafer and drink this juice to remember the story, to remember who he is, to remember what he did, to remember what that means for us. And that's huge, because in a sense, what we need to be doing regularly is being reminded of the story we live in, being reminded of who he is, being reminded of what he's done, and living in light of that reality. And in communion, what we do is we respond to a better word. Sure, some of us right now have had people say things to us or about us this week that actually are affecting you right now. As we take communion, we're responding to the better word that Jesus speaks over us, a new identity, a new label, a new life rather than the things that are spoken over us every week. So we wanna come to this bread and this wine and live in that story. If you came in here tonight and you wouldn't have called yourself a Christian tonight, or maybe you've become a Christian this evening, that's absolutely wonderful. But this is an opportunity to respond to Jesus because really this is a Christian thing. You know, this is a thing of worship. This is a thing of celebration. It's a thing of remembering and enjoying who Jesus is and what he's done. So maybe for you, this is an opportunity to respond to Jesus in the way that you want to this evening. And for those of us who are Christians, I'd just love to ask you just to reflect for a moment. Maybe you can close your eyes now, but just to spend a moment just reflecting before God. I'm talking about living into his story. I'm talking about following him and knowing him. I don't know what this week means for you, kind of like Luke started this evening saying. But I know we can ask God to come into that space now. I know we can bring that stuff before Him. And as we take communion, we know that actually our identity isn't based on who we are or what we've done, it's based in Jesus. Actually, anything can be forgiven. Anything can be washed away. God doesn't approve of you because of what you've done, but he approves of you in Jesus. So Lord, we, we do wanna take a moment to bring our stuff to you. 
to ask you to forgive us where we need forgiveness. And also to repent, oh God, where actually our thinking has drifted from where it should be. We want to live in your story. We want to follow you and respond to you, Jesus. And even now, we just, we do this.